0: I could have, though, something undefined can walk away welcome everybody to dad talk today I'm your host Eric Carroll thank you so much for being here we have an amazing podcast lined up for you today we are a podcast that talks about all things fatherhood. Before we start, please make sure to visit all of our social media websites, our podcast links, rate, review, subscribe, and help us towards the calls that we are trying to do here today. And no matter what you're going through today, Dad, we hope that this podcast leaves you inspired with your head held high. Keep fighting, and tomorrow you will find progress. Stay cool. Stay, Dad. This episode brought to you by www.dadtalktoday.com. Everybody, welcome to Dad Talk today. I am your host Eric Carroll. Please make sure to join us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to join us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Dad today, you will also get access to our brand new television show. We will be uploading them there for anybody that becomes a member to help our podcast. We've got another amazing episode lined up for you today. We are sponsored by the Isaac Law Firm, the Father's Rights Movement, Upstream Growth Consultants, and the house champ, Mr. Yaya McLean, two-time world champion boxer, is the newest real estate agent. He's got his title. Now let him help you get yours. Guys, we hope you enjoy it. Stay cool, stay dad, and we'll catch you later on down the road. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dad Talk today. I am your host, Eric Carroll, joined as always by Mr. Chris Gannon. And tonight we have a very special guest. This is something I've really been looking forward to. We have Paul Elam, the founder of A Voice for Men. Paul, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing all right,
0: man. So I'm I'm just going to say it right off, man. So I found you, Paul, through watching the Red Pill on YouTube and another guest that we've got coming up in a week from now dr warren farrell was on there and it really opened up my mind to a lot that's going on you know most of the issues that we're talking about on here is parental alienation and silver bullets and stuff like that so um we try to keep it a little bit gender neutral but we know that there are injustices inside the system just blatantly out there against fathers and sometimes we're very apologetic in our approach you know anytime that we say anything We kind of joke about it sometimes. We always have to say, and moms too, you know, just to keep it going. But, you know, there are things that fathers go through, and that's what we want to touch on tonight. And I just want to say, you know, straight up front, the interviews I've seen about you on the media, it looks like they tried to come in there. They was wanting to make a little bit of a smear campaign. That's not what's going on tonight. You've got some amazing stuff, and I want to say thank you for your work and everything that you do on your website over there.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Yes, sir. So I think Chris has got some questions for you right off. So I'm going to pass it on over to him. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have some fun and throw you
2: right to the wolves here. Uh, I love it. I I think Eric capitalized pretty well on the fact that the uh, mainstream or lamestream media as a lot of people call it kind of like to take uh, people like yourself and put you in a situation with an interview and paint a very invalid picture of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're about. Uh, that's just the way that the media works. We're not like that here at Dad Talk yet. Just kidding. Uh, but we want to give you a fair shake. So I've got a fun little icebreaker here full of questions for you to answer that we're going to run down to kind of give people an idea of where you really stand on things. Okay. Are you ready? You sure? I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. He's ready, shot. everybody. So, so, Paul, are you against domestic violence?
1: Let's see. How much time do I have to answer that question? Oh, we're going to get
2: yours, ready. my man. Yeah, it's yours. You can do a simple yes or no, or you can, you can go into it.
1: You know, in, in deeper reflection about it, I'd have to pretty much say, yeah, I'm against it. I'm mm-hmm. definitely a no on domestic violence. And by the way, on all other forms of violence. Wow.
2: And that's that's probably shocking to a lot of people that have heard what the media has to say about you. Uh, and and so are you also would you be against verbal abuse?
1: Well, I'm going to have to go with the no again, man. I, I'm, I'm, I hate to disappoint the mainstream media and the people that like to cherry pick stuff, but I'm pretty much against verbal abuse, too. Yeah, that's a definite. OK. okay. All right.
2: All right. So what about do you think? Two. Do you think women should have the right to vote?
1: Well, yeah, interestingly <laughs> enough, I do think they should be allowed to vote. I, sometimes I'm not a big fan of, of women's voting patterns and women as a voting block uh, because that doesn't fit my politics, but should they have the right to vote? Man, that was settled a hundred years ago.
2: That's right. And, and do you, at the same line, do you think women should be allowed to work?
1: Oh, I think they should be required. To work. Absolutely. Uh, I, I believe in, as much as we can attain it, I believe in equality. That means when the dinner check shows up, both people reach, they reach for wallet and purse. I'm a big believer in that. So should women be allowed to vote? Absolutely. You mean true equality? A true true quality. Yeah. Okay. The, the kind that shows up at the cash register, not the kind that shows up on uh, TV dramas and uh, political speeches.
2: Okay, sweet. All right. Do you think a woman's place is in the kitchen?
1: <clears throat> hmm. Being the cook in my family. I'm gonna get that one a no. You probably
2: had many arguments about who was gonna cook, right? No,
1: and they're not really arguments about that. I'm the one that is the good cook in I my see. relationship. So, um, and I enjoy it. Um, I consider it man's work, and I'm by God gonna do it.
2: Sweet. Well, you always saw all steak dinner then. Home okay, you got it, Steak man. dinner. Come
1: on over. Bring some beer. <laughs>
2: All right, Paul, this is going to be a hard one. Do you hate women? Which ones? Uh, let's just say in general, very general. Just in looking general, at it from...
1: I hate absolutely no one. Oh, shocking. Wow. That,
2: you know, CNN, I, I totally wouldn't have had that perspective of you.
1: Yes, I know. That's been something that's been painted out there in the mainstream media for a long time. I actually had a mother who I loved very much. I have a partner in life for 18 years that I love. I have all kinds of female relatives and friends and acquaintances, the women that work at A Voice for Men. I've been working alongside women for years and years now, even as a men's advocate, and I love them all. So uh, do I hate women? Of course not, I don't hate women.
2: And you just you just answered my, my, my next question. Do you love your mother?
1: Still do, she's passed away since 2008, uh, but I love her very much and I very- love her memory. What
0: kind of men's rights activist are you? <laughs> I know I'm a cool example, but, you
1: know, you know, I'm working on the hate thing, and it's just I can't seem to get the hang of it.
0: <laughs> well, guys, we're, we're not going to lie to you. I guess a little bit of those questions was a little bit sarcastic just because of the way the media has tried to paint the picture of this man sitting here just because he speaks out on men's issues. Yep. And, you know, it's just so unfair. I mean, there's, there's so many things that go on and we should be allowed to talk about them without stuff like that going on. So I'm going to rewind this on back. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and growing up and what got you into doing what you're doing now with A Voice for Men.
1: Well, I'm a child of the, I was born in 57, so I'm a child that was just pre-hippie generation. Uh, grew up in the era of the Vietnam War and, and got everything that came along with that sort of a mistrust of the older generation, uh, seeing them as somebody who got us into wars. And at the same time, that was juxtapositioned beh- beside having a father who had fought in two wars that he I found out he didn't start them. Um, <laughs> he just went and did his duty as a father and at the time as a man. My mother did her duty. She ultimately went to school and got a master's degree in nursing, but only after she had raised three sons uh, to adulthood. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mother and wife for my all of my growing up and considered that a job that she was proud of. Um, so I moved from that. There was um, uh, obviously... Uh, Vietnam era put me at odds with a lot of institutions. And I think that that uh, sort of formed a lot of my thought, challenging authority, challenging the status quo, challenging the way most people see the world. Uh, Then we're going to skip ahead a lot of years till 1993, when I was working as a substance abuse counselor. And I stumbled on a book, I was actually had it recommended to me a book by your next guest, Dr. Warren Farrell called The Myth of Male Power. And I took that home and I had intended to sit down and maybe read it for 20 or 30 minutes and then come back to it when I had time. I stayed up all night reading the book. It literally was like, turn my world around. It made me rethink everything I thought about power, everything I thought about gender roles, everything I thought about oppression and who was being hurt by what. I mean, he challenged all of our notions of power and I saw that and I was not the same. And I immediately went to work and started asking questions about, for instance, why was it that we evaluated every woman who came into treatment for whether or not she had been a victim of domestic violence And we evaluated all men on whether or not they were perpetrators. But we never asked women if they were perpetrators and we never asked men if they were victims. And that was the way we did things. And that book had me (laughs) rethinking everything. So I brought that into one of our staff meetings. Why are we doing this? Why is it this way? Because I'm finding out from talking to my clients, some of them are men that have been abused and some of them are women that have been abusers. And the reaction I got, you guys just described how the mainstream media has mischaracterized my work. My professional peers, people that otherwise I think were fine, educated, thoughtful, intelligent people immediately became hostile. We aren't supposed to ask those kinds of questions in this society. We're not supposed to question whether women are capable of hurting people. Because if you challenge that, if you ask if women are hurting people, well, you must hate women. And the reaction that we were just sort of making fun of and having some fun of, fun with about the mainstream media mischaracterizing me, it's not just the mainstream media, it's the world at large. And I actually had people trying to get me fired because I was talking about these issues in a mental health setting. Right where we're supposed to be challenged to take an unbiased look at the human condition and to understand people's problems and seek to help them. The moment I started challenging the narrative that all men were perpetrators and all women were victims, the outrage was incredible. And that's literally what has wound me up sitting in this chair today talking to you. That is so awesome, man.
0: Uh, Chris just brought up something I forgot to do at the beginning of the show. I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Isaac Law Firm, Upstream Growth Consultants. We are also sponsored by the Fathers' Rights Movement, as well as the newest real estate agent in the Atlanta, Georgia market, two-time world champion Mister Yaya McLean. So thank you guys. But uh, Paul, (laughs) let's let's dial this back a little bit. So. The role of the American male, I mean, I guess, you know, worldwide, it's it's kind of being diminished, but not necessarily something that is so obvious. It's in a lot of the undertones in society that has created this uh, cataclysm. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, masculinity itself has been under assault for 50 years. It, it, a lot of it comes from a feminist-dominated academic environment, we have women's studies that are, again, you want to talk about this narrative of women as victim, men as perpetrator, women are oppressed, men are oppressors. Uh, the idea, the whole idea of patriarchy theory and domestic violence is that the reason that they have to have an all-male perpetrator narrative about this is because domestic violence is defined as an expression of patriarchal power within the home. That's the academic take on it. And so if you have even one female perpetrator and male victim, the entire theory comes crashing down. This is why they're so resistant to that. And the way they keep people resistant is by bashing and shaming men and masculinity. I'm sure that you two in the course of this have at least experienced some of the fact that men tend to shrink away from this topic to talk about the own difficulties that they have in life. It's why you see so many fathers go through a very biased family court system. You mentioned the family courts. It's the Mm -hmm. biggest rollback of civil rights Crow, is our family court system. And it's directed at men. And yet most men will go through that and not complain, not organize, not do anything about it, not try to get the laws changed because the moment they speak, society shames them man up and shut up, just Paul, take it. Kind of to and piggyback. why we see, go ahead.
2: Kind of to piggyback off of what you're saying here in Eric's question, uh, do you think possibly that a division, the division of family and the tactics that we're seeing and the amount of money that's being thrown into the gender war uh, might be perpetrated by our nation's enemies to weaken us? Because you weaken the family you weaken society, and that's when you start seeing the pillars and the foundation collapsing. What are your thoughts on, on that?
1: Well, yeah, I think it is it is certainly part of what I would call a Marxist agenda. I mean, the, the gender war was nothing new. They were doing a gender war in the Soviet Union in the 1930s on the same model, telling women to abandon their roles in the kitchen and come into the factories and work. Um, And they knew, and you can find this written explicitly from literature for women's studies from the 1970s, the objective was to destroy the family. You disempower men, you castigate them, shame them, disempower them, oppress them, do whatever you need to do, and give them nothing to defend. One of the things that governments are leery of is families. These days, they figured out that if you want to control the population— Separate a man from his family, disempower him, and make him struggle to survive, and then you've got it made. The rest of society will fall in place. Is this a part of the grander scheme? Yeah, I think it is. I think this is Marxism in action. It's happening right now, and it's very overt. It's, it's amazing to me, and I don't wanna see men in a victim role any more than I wanna see women in a victim role. So I have to say that the accountability on this to me does fall on men in a long ways, in a lot of ways. It was men who allowed this family court agenda to get acted out. It was men who did not resist it. It was men who invited feminism, which look, everybody loves, well, most people love the idea of equality at the very least equality under the law. I think any decent person likes the idea of equality under the law but feminism has nothing to do with equality. It is not a movement for equality at all. It never was. There's an illusion in that. Some of us are tempted to say, well, feminism started out with a good idea and then it went south. No, it started out in the wrong direction. The whole idea was destroy families. Uh, Robin Morgan from the 1970s said that it's an honorable political act to hate men. Andrea Dworkin and others, Gloria Steinem, said we must destroy the nuclear family. Think about how ominous that kind of thinking is and where we end up. And now we have two generations, two and a half generations of fatherless children who are filling gangs, filling our prisons, school truancy, teen pregnancy, teen drug use every negative consequence, every psychosocial factor by which we measure the lives of children have been made worse by fatherlessness. And a lot of that, I'm sad to say, is because fathers refuse to do what you two are doing right now.
0: Yes, sir. And and, you and. I can see to an extent why. So that, that was one of the things that really bothered me, man. I, I, I was, I was getting so angry when watching the red pill and when you guys would be talking and you would see the feminist groups outside with the bullhorns and then you see the man just standing there and taking it. And it's like, It made me want to go grab a bullhorn, Paul, and go through that scream and start screaming back because I was like, we've got to be heard. You know, what they're talking about is real issues, but we're being shut up because the people that are against us are so big. And and I take that back to the parental alienation and the equal shared parenting movement right now. Uh, A lot of the domestic violence groups and stuff like that, they just come by and swallow us like a little fish in the ocean. Yep and the thing is we're all on the same side we we don't believe in domestic violence either and you even said that yourself when we very first started off what we are against is a, a woman or a man either one that are making false sexual allegations or domestic violence allegations and they're they're doing this to to alienate that other parent out of their child's life so we're against the same ones that are taking the credibility from you when you say that you've been beaten or abused Right.
2: And, and, you know, Paul, would you agree with this statement? It really what we're seeing with feminism, uh, the extreme, is really a result of cognitive, cognitive dissonance and divide and conquer. When we talk about the government using it as a control mechanism, they do not want us looking at them and saying, you know what, you guys, you're responsible for this. They want us looking at each other and fighting and arguing in that respect.
1: Well, I have sort of a mixed answer on this, to be frank with you, I do think we need to establish a different dialogue between men and women than we've ever had before. Feminism has succeeded in driving a huge wedge, a gulf, between the sexes. There's a lot of mistrust there. And it is a risky proposition when a guy like me, an outspoken guy, speaks directly to women. And, but it is that conversation. We need to have men that are willing to be honest with women about what's happening with the world. What feminism did was they sold women on the idea of, here, I'm daddy government. You don't need a man. I'll be the man. I'll put you on Section 8 housing. I'll, I'll give you welfare. Um, I will go and force child support and put him in jail if he doesn't pay the money or if he can't pay the money or if he breaks his leg and can't work, we don't care. It's like the mob, we'll stick him in jail over this. And they have hoodwinked women into replacing men with the government. And women need to be held to account for that. That is an unfortunate reality in this culture that we say, oh, we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to offend women. <laughs> we have to risk some offense on both sides of the, of the gender divide here in order to get in a truthful conversation. And so far, it's just not happening. It's a, a lot of, well, you think it's bad for men, what about for women? And look, everybody does have their issues, but we've got this rule set up now in society that as soon as we solve all of women's problems, then we can talk about men's. Right. But by the way, we can't solve all of women's problems.
0: I, I agree with you. And like I said, a lot of times we have to always pre, preface for that. And it happens to mothers too. And which it does, you know, and we know that, but it's, it's like, we're not allowed to talk about something that might happen to as you know, to a father.
1: It does happen to mothers, too, but here's, here's, and again, you guys are doing great. I'm just telling you the way I approach this. I won't say that. It happens to mothers, too. I know that any corrupt system will eventually bite everybody in it in some way or another. It is a corrupt system, but this happens to mothers inadvertently. It is designed to happen to men, the abridgment of rights ex parte restraining orders a million per year issued in this country 99% of them slapped in men's hands telling them you don't live here anymore you can only see your kid on Wednesday pay up or go to jail yes it does happen to women but part of what I think we have to be willing to do is identify this is a men's issue and it's That doesn't mean that I don't think women have issues or that they don't have problems, they do. I think they have problems that deserve our attention in this world. But part of the reason that we feel compelled to say, well, it happens to women too, and there's bad men too, we know there's bad men. Of course, everybody knows all this stuff, but we're compelled to say these things because they're controlling the narrative. And I think one of the things that must be done is to take that narrative from the corrupt people that are governing it now. Uh, it's it's tough calls, but that's my two cents. On.
0: I agree with you. And one of our biggest oppositions, again, the domestic violence groups, when you see the posters up on a billboard of domestic violence, who is on it? I mean, that's one of the, the best things that we can say. Well, that happens to fathers too, because I think they are half of the cases that are going to on domestic violence, but you don't hear about that. The face of domestic violence is usually a mother or a
1: woman. No money.
0: That's in, it. In battered it's the men. same as the court system, guys. It's the same as the court system. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Show show men with battered faces, bruised faces. Nobody cares. Nope. And 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 Paul, I,
2: I think we would be um <clears throat> really doing a disservice here if we didn't say that a lot of you know a lot of the men especially in our movement uh there has to be some self-ownership as well uh the way we carry ourselves the way uh we we speak to ourselves, speak to you know anybody in general the way we converse on social media uh can you talk a little bit about how men while fighting for men's rights okay need to display self-ownership and the importance of that at the same time?
1: I will be happy to. It's one of my favorite topics. I say all the time on my YouTube channel that there are no victims, just volunteers. And that is not to say that there are really no victims. Of course there are victims in life. But you know, I never had negative consequences from a relationship in my life that I couldn't have seen coming a mile away if I had chosen to. If I had acted with self-respect and acted like I had boundaries and standards other than, you know, is she willing to sleep with me as a standard? And this is, look, men need to own this stuff. A woman, many in many ways, literally will advertise she's dangerous to men. And, if he's infatuated all of his friends can tell him look dude you're headed for big time problems right no don't you talk that way about my cupcake she would never ever do anything to me i'm trying to tell you dude I'm, I'm, i'm you know i hate to break it to you but she slept with these three other guys and two of them ended up with false accusations oh no i don't believe it and then of course Two years later, I get an email from the guy saying, can you tell me what to do? I've been accused falsely, and this is unjust. Well, men need to own this stuff. They really do. They need to own their decisions in life. And women do also, by the way. I'll throw a women, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to. Thank you. <laughs> they need to own their decisions, too. But I think when it comes down to it, most men's rights issues could have been avoided with values centered living. If men knew and identified what their values were, what their boundaries were in life, were committed to healthy living and to self-respect, if they had done that, they could have most, I'd say 90% of men's problems could be avoided just with that.
0: Paul, would you say it is fair to say that more of the feminist movement is looking at superiority and the men's rights movement is just looking for equality?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Feminism is about, it's an entitlement movement. Uh, it's a movement of privilege and it's a hateful movement of privilege one of the things that i love and i would i would totally not be a men's activist if we ever picked up an ism i don't want meninism or anything like that i don't want ideology that separates us between the sexes the, bi- the, the biggest part of the damage that's happened between the, the sexes is that we are historically, we work cooperatively with each other to bring up children, to promote healthy families. And that meant men and women had to work together. Women embraced an ideology that was hateful ideology that's, that told them ideologically that men were bad, that men were oppressors. That was very personal kind of destructive path for women to take. So I don't ever wanna see men develop an ideology. We deal with facts. That's one of the things we do in this movement. And what I, I can already tell from listening to you guys, you deal with the facts, with the numbers. You look at problem solving, not first, let's find out how women are wrong. And then develop a theory around that to support that to make men look like victims. That's feminism. And I don't see this happening so far in the men's movement, and I hope I never do.
2: Paul, I do want to go back a little bit when we were talking about, uh, you know, self-ownership. And you said, you know, as far as men, we need to be able to identify, number one, boundaries. and and our own morals and values. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you on here after watching some of your videos earlier uh, was how does a man find a healthy woman and how do you identify that healthy woman? And I think you started to touch on it with with your own personal and morals and values and setting up boundaries as a man. Can you go in a little bit more detail about that? Because I think that's something very valuable uh, to our audience because obviously the men who are watching and are victims of parental alienation or the family law courts, uh, we, we've had a problem with that in the past. Uh, and it, it's as much as it is a projection on the female uh, questioning how do we tell if she's healthy, uh, we also made the decision, the bad decision to get with that person. We didn't see the red flags. Uh, so can you please address those two things for our
1: audience? I can absolutely do that. And it's the answers to that are incredibly simple. Quit looking for a healthy woman and start being a healthy man. That is the first and foremost, the most important thing you can possibly entertain. This is not about how do I scan the horizon? There's lots of sick people in the world. There's plenty of them. There's plenty of sick men. There's plenty of sick women, but If your standards as a man is, one, is she attractive? And two, does she want me? And if everything after that gets thrown out the window, you're begging for trouble. You're walking into trouble voluntarily. Because, look, one of the old stereotypes is true. Men tend to think with the little head. And especially the younger they are. I know what I was like in my 20s. (laughs) I know how my mentality was. I can't deny that.
0: Make jokes but about it, but it's true. It, it is, is true. It's
1: true. And so if you want to, to attract, I'd say quit looking for a healthy woman, learn how to attract one. A woman, a borderline woman, a woman who's manipulative and dishonest, if she meets a guy that straight up can't be manipulated, that that holds his own, that has boundaries and values that he lives by, she's going to lose interest. But a healthier woman will see that and go, "Oh wow, that's you know that's great." So, quit trying to figure out a game. And this is what I uh, unfortunately what I do see a lot in men's literature online is they turn the whole thing into a game. As a matter of fact, they call it game. Do you have game? Can you manipulate, can you understand women's hypergamous tendencies and women's true nature and learn how to manipulate them for your benefit like that? Man, that is like a lounge lizard routine as far as I'm concerned. So what I say to men, be healthy, have values. And I'm not saying that you got to try to be perfect or that you have to, you know, go join a church and do everything the Bible says or anything like that. I'm saying identify your values. Who are you? What do you believe in? Will you make a fool of yourself to impress a woman? Will you take money from your electric bill and spend it on a woman because you're afraid that she'll lose interest in you if you don't? These are hard questions men need to ask themselves. And because when men do have values, I'll put it this way. I'm sure both of you have met women in your lives that you could listen to them and see them, how they operate, and in five minutes tell nobody has ever been abusive with them. That, that you know no guy would dream of lifting a finger to that woman. Right. It's because they're projecting their values. It's because they have boundaries and they have self-assurance and integrity. When men project that, they attract healthier women too. Women look at you and know from your behavior. It's one of the things I I talk to men about all the time when it comes to selecting male friends. If you know a guy that's obsequious with women that tells them whatever they want to hear, honest or not, don't trust that guy. He'll stick a knife in your back in a heartbeat. This is, go go ahead. No, um, uh, it,
0: so it, it kind of reminds me of a post I saw you do the other day with the man reaching his hand through the hole in the wall and giving the woman the ring. Yes. It was
1: so true. It really was. It is. I mean, it's sort of an obscene cartoon, but it is what men do. And it is abs and it is funny almost. I mean, it's really not funny, but Sometimes we need humor to help us handle the cold reality yes, of life. It is funny sometimes to see men act so bewildered that the woman they chased with roses and candies and jewelry and money and obsequiousness and living on their knees turned around and didn't respect them. It's, it's amazing.
2: When do you think this changed and this change happens society because you know originally way back in the, the stone ages or you know whatever you believe there the the point of finding somebody was companionship survival and to reproduce and 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 live and survive together and of course it, it through the ages that changed like is there a pinpoint you know on the timeline where we can say this is what caused this and this is this is why it's happening
1: couple of pinpoints on the timeline as a matter of fact. One of them, we go back a thousand years to the fact that that was when in all of Western culture that even the notion of romantic love was introduced into society. Before that point, people viewed falling in love for what it was kind of a psychosis. Uh, when you're infatuated with somebody, you're not thinking right. And back in those times, they recognized that was not a reason to get married. Right. That this, this crazy infatuation was not a reason to get married, but there was um, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine, and this is back in the 12th century, commissioned a bunch of troubadours to write romance uh, and to carry that word to all the courts. And it eventually spread from the aristocracy down into the population who began marrying for love for the first time. That was, if you look at the outcome of arranged marriages versus romantic (laughs) marriages, the arranged marriages work. I'm not suggesting that we should shift to that model, but I am suggesting an awareness. Another big point in history was the Industrial Revolution. Prior to that, men worked in the home alongside their wives. They were artisans, craftsmen, farmers, ranchers, whatever, but they were close to home. They were part of the child raising and everything else. Fathers were very intimate presence in the lives of children. The industrial revolution sent all the men out of the home into the cities to work, leaving women alone with children for the first time in history. There was a lot of stuff came out of that that wasn't so good. Women were lonely, they missed adult company, they turned and began emotionally bonding with children in ways that weren't necessarily healthy as a compensation for the fact that the man was gone. She began to be burdened with all that responsibility and it started some of the resentments, I think, between men and women for the roles that we have in life. Those are two points in history that had huge impact on Western families. It can't be underestimated. I've written about this before. Um, And I think, of course, the other, the final, the coup d'etat of all this was the emergence of gender feminism in the 1960s as a Marxist philosophy that took an already vulnerable family and started driving nails in the coffin.
2: You know, and that, that kind of reminds me I one of Joe Rogan's uh, stand-up skits. He, he talks about male feminists. And he said, whenever I see a male feminist, he, he's like, I look at him and I'm like, uh, you did something bad, didn't you? You did something bad, and that's why you feel the need to, like, overcorrect for this. And, and what you were just saying there made me think of
1: that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you see a lot of, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hugo Schweitzer and the story of him, big-time male feminist that put on an act for years and he got caught sending pornographic pictures of himself to a 15 year old or something like that. And he finally came out and admitted that all, the only reason he was ever a feminist was because he, it, he thought it would help him score. That was it. Um, to me, we have a saying around the voice for men, scratch a male feminist and you'll find a misogynist every time never fails male feminists hate women right. they feel resentful they feel unable to access women and what they do is they go into a routine of uh, preening, in ways for women who still reject them and the resentment intensifies and we've seen this over and over again michael Kimmel just got me too'd uh, a few months back um because of his inappropriate actions with women who he worked with and one of the greatest feminist scholars of all time according to uh most feminists and no you scratch the surface and there's a lot of self-hatred and a lot of hatred for women
2: right and, and, and let's clarify here you're, you're not talking about like the normal guy that's like oh my god what happened to her is horrible you're talking about the, norm, the guy who, who radicalizes it and goes out to the marches and is like,
1: men suck. Look at, look at what they did to her. And how dare you? Right. Men's issues, people, how dare you speak about men's issues when women suffer so much? Yes. Those guys, I'm not talking about a normal human being that hears the woman was raped and beaten and is outraged by it. That's normal.
2: Well, wow. and see, that's another, you know, the, the mainstream media stations, that's that's the thing they do. They like to make it seem like, uh, you know, that's what you mean when you're talking about, you know, men's rights and 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 issues like this. So I felt that was very important to clarify. The other question I have is you brought up the Industrial Revolution. OK, so obviously, as America grew, the economy grew. And, and one of the things that's always been in the back of my mind is, uh, you know, back when our great-great-grandparents uh were together it was set up so the woman stayed home and took care of the children in most cases and the father won out and earned a living and, and provided for the family but then we had our economy change and now try you know being your average middle class american and even getting an apartment and sharing it with a significant other you both have to have a job and i think That adds a lot of pressure onto two individuals when they enter into a a union and and decide to get married or or cohabitate with each other because there's a financial stress, uh, a burden that's placed on that family from the get-go.
1: And that's not accidental. I don't think there's a, a single bit of unorchestrated events that led to that. I think they figured out quite some time ago Wow, you know, if everybody had to work and pay taxes instead of half the population, then we would collect a lot more money. We could drive down the cost of labor. This is why corporations are so centered on advertising to women. Uh, They control most of the liquidable income. You know, they do like 85% of the spending. So when you see commercials on TV, bashing men as too stupid to know what to take for a headache without their wife say so, there's a reason behind that. And they have given women the illusion, you can have it all, maybe, but what women really get in reality is they end up, if they're lucky in middle management, working in some cubicle somewhere while their kids are at home resenting them for being gone with bags under their eyes, burned out and unhappy, and nobody to blame for that but men, right? Um, and
2: I think that's where we see a lot of problems with, with particularly my generation and the generation coming up. When you have a mother who's working and a father who's working, and and by no means like it's necessary. We understand it in in this point of you know our, our history, um, but that's done a lot of damage to the family's core values and has promoted the uh, disintegration and 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 the destruction of families. And one of the big things I've always felt, uh, even you know when I've gone out and looked look for relationships, like I noticed a lot of emphasis and a lot of people morally do not uh, really want a relationship these days. And going into that, like there, right now there's a very big movement out there and I don't know if you've seen a lot of people talk about it on the internet. There's a lot of men saying, it, it's not even worth getting married anymore. Don't get married. Uh, To me, I, I, I we're having this conversation with the wisdom you just imparted to us. But to me, you know, when you accept that fate and you say, you know what, marriage isn't worth it. Not only are you becoming a part of a problem, you're creating another one. And when we go back and we talk about, you know, the destruction of our country and our morals and our values, that's just, to me, another way to erode the family. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, You may find that you disagree with my thoughts on that. Um, Yes, many men are right now, it's called MGTOW, men going their own way. And they are saying that the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And here's the problem. And if you look at family law, the state of it right now, I'm a counselor. If a young man asks me, should I get married? I can't recommend it. I know that the the family is the very fabric of a healthy functioning society. I also know that that young man who's asking me if he should should get married has better chance than not that he'll end up divorced. Let me say that one more time because it's important. He has more of a chance that he'll end up divorced than he does married for life. That doesn't go away because we want marriages to work. We need to fix these bloody family courts. They are corrupt. They are designed to destroy men, to destroy women. You know, we could have the concept in family law of restructuring families that that can't make it (laughs) to divorce, but we don't have that concept. We treat the children like We assign them as, uh, via ownership to one of the two parents, almost always the mother. The father ends up, in many cases, with children that are growing up to hate him because of parental alienation. I understand what you're saying about the desire, but I don't think these men are creating a problem. I think they're finding a sensible solution for their personal lives that's saying, I'm not willing under modern, modern circumstances, knowing the odds, knowing what can happen to me if I get married, to just walk up and put my neck on a chopping block because somebody tells me it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, it is painful. It's difficult. I wish that I could tell men, yes, get married, have children. This is what makes the world go round. Find your happiness in that. I truly Every day, think I, I wish I could tell him that, but I can't. It's the problems that you guys are trying to bring the world's attention to are real. They're not just something that happens to some other guy. Mm-hmm. I get flooded with emails all the time from men that I have to write back and say sorry. There's nothing I can do. I mean, and I'm. by the nature of my work, I'm not likely to hear from men who are happily married. They have no reason to write me. But what I'm saying is the experience that I have with men, and if you look at the clients I have right now, three quarters of them are just getting hammered. These are guys haven't seen their kids in two years.
2: So with ethics and morals and values, and we know marriage is supposed to be it's intended to be two people standing before, you know, God and, and saying, you know, I'm dedicating my life to you. I'm dedicating my life to you. Uh, it, and I know at least in the Catholic religion, it is considered a unification of souls. Like those souls are one. Do you think we're going to get to a point where maybe people are getting married in secret? And, hey, do we really need the state and the government to know that, hey, you know what? I, I've unified with this person.
1: I think that's a an absolute possibility. You know, I'll, I can use myself for an example. I'm in a relationship 18 years. I won't get married. My relationship's very stable, but I won't get married. Um, I do think that people don't need marriage to be moral. They don't need marriage to have values that they live by. I mean, it's nice, especially when you raise kids, to have a a so-called legit nuclear family, but it isn't an absolute necessity, and especially not when bringing the state, and this is something I've said for years, anymore, you really don't marry a woman, you marry the state. And when the marriage is over, the woman leaves, but the state stays forever. Um, everybody should know that before they tie the knot. What are your thoughts on
2: prenups then? That, that would be
0: I, I was about to go know, there with you.
1: Um, they're similar to my thoughts on toilet paper. Courts <laughs> <laughs> throw them out routinely. Also, once you've been married for 10 years, like a, I know in a state like Texas where I used to live, once the marriage is more than 10 years old, prenups don't mean anything. Um, If there were such a thing, again, reform of family law is part of the answer. If there were such a thing as an ironclad prenup that lasted for the duration of the marriage, we would be talking, having a very different conversation. Uh, I, I have an investment in wanting these things to work because I believe that families are what's healthy for all people. Absolutely. So, I really want those things to help, uh, to work. Uh, but the, the prenup is a noble idea without enough weight behind it. The yes, rescue. Sir. And we have to remember what happens in divorce, too. These are literally destroyed children that come out of these courts. Uh, this isn't just about her or him. These courts are destroying the lives of these children, and it's an abomination that has no bounds in this culture. So, Paul, what is your thoughts on the Title IV-D? Oh, boy, yeah. You guys have been doing your homework.
2: We got all night. We got all night. We're
1: here for you. Well, it is, um, for those that don't know, Title IV-D has effectively turned family courts into profit centers. The only courts we have that actually make money and courts get money for collecting child support um, from Title IV-D. And of course, they don't get to collect any money from enforcing visitation. They don't get any money at all for anything except squeezing it out of the designated personnel. I'll play the game with you guys tonight. Sometimes it's women. They don't get money for anything but collecting that child support. And keep in mind, it is very much like a mafia racket. You you get cancer, too bad, pay up. Everything is too bad, pay up. Lost your job, too bad. Shouldn't have lost your job, go to jail. Um, And that's the way they make their money. And like I said, you know, um, criminal courts and other courts all operate at a loss. It costs the government money to operate those courts. Title IV-D and all its brilliance has made them money makers and all the judges and the lawyers and the friends, so, so-called friends of the court, all the ancillary stuff, the social workers that glom on like gnats like into the family courts, all these people are profiting from this corrupt system. And it's why it's so hard to do anything about it because there's money involved. It would be much easier if we didn't have Title IV-D to reform family courts.
0: No use in it. Uh, so I, I've got a question for you, Paul, and this comes from the executive director of the Father Rights movement. She wanted me to ask you this, Miss Melissa Isaacs. She said, Paul, how do you feel about so many women coming to the men's movement?
1: I'm excited about it, Melissa. Um, uh, you may know that uh, I do a discussion every week with Janice Fiamingo and Tom Golden, and I work closely with people like Karen Strawn, Alison Tiemann, Suzanne McCarley, go down the list, Elizabeth Hobson from the UK, who's doing great work there. These women are very important to our movement. We This is not an ideological movement that is geared to separate men from women. And, but should, I th- have a feeling that Melissa had other reasons for asking that question and she may not have, but I'll, I'll try to address that too. You know, there is a lot of times I see criticism from men um, because we have female keynote speakers at our international conference on men's issues. And we, we bring women into the fold aggressively to have a dialogue between men and women and for men and women in in our work. Uh, And there are men who are highly critical of that. And I kind of get it. These are guys, I understand they've been burned. And a lot of times they've been burned by women. Um, That's the reality of their lives. And what, and I also understand some of them say, no, we just, we need a space for men to do this. And I understand some of the wisdom for that. But for AVFM, for our end of the men's movement, we want women there in as many as possible. And I would suggest to a lot of guys who don't think women should have a voice in this, well, fine, guys, you step up. Because you know what? I never hear criticism about women being in the movement from men who are actually doing anything. Engaged. That's it's always nice the guy out in the peanut gallery, who does nothing, who helps in no way, who screams that we shouldn't have women. So sorry, I I don't take that criticism very seriously.
2: You nailed that. That that's you know a home run right there because that's one thing that that Eric and I have uh, you know identified within this community, and the the other thing kind of piggybacking off of that, when you go through a divorce, or a separation of family, uh, or, or you were in a toxic relationship and end up an alienated parent, or let's just say a victim of the family law courts, uh, your mind goes to a very dark, bad place. Uh, you know, suicide ideation, uh, drinking, uh, dependencies. For that father sitting there watching our podcast right now who feels totally emasculated, is alienated from his children, is contemplating suicide or having another drink. What is your advice and what is your message to them on how to turn things around and more importantly, how to become active, be a man and start being engaged in this
1: fight? One of the things I say is somebody who's been there, right? I've been through these issues myself. A life well lived is the best revenge you can get on anybody. One of the things that we do have to be careful to know is that on a good day, the suicide disparity between men and women is four to one. During divorce and breakup, it's 11 to one. That's a very forbidding statistic. These guys are suffering, and they are. They're stepped on, their rights are taken away. They can't even really uh, adequately defend themselves against false allegations because the system is not set up for that. And when they try to speak up, Most of the world, including in many cases, their own families tell them to shut up and take it. That's why we lose so many men in this place. And that's why we've got a lot of desperate guys out there. I don't know what to tell them to make the world better. I can tell them I've been there and I fought. Be prepared to get a utility apartment somewhere, uh, uh, an efficiency apartment and a closet full of ramen if you have to, but it's either fight or perish. And to do the best you can, and also to reach out, to participate in things like this. And I invite those guys to come to the Regarding Men website and to A Voice for Men, To other, we have a forum, reach out. There are other men that are going through this. Connect to them, don't isolate. Your enemies want you to isolate. They want you in that dark room with the curtains closed and a drink in your hand, feeling sorry for yourself, because if you do that, you're not fighting. That's
2: the exact thing I said on my first podcast with Dad Talk today. That's the exact quote I made.
0: Talk about that all the time. That's the reason they alienate you is because that's what they want you doing. They want you to have a miserable life. And when you do that, Paul, if we talk about anything outside of alienation or even say a joke on this podcast, they get mad. Oh yeah. They get mad. And it's like, you know what? You're letting them take that joy from your life. Don't, don't do that. Yes. I know they're keeping your kid from you and they're doing that to make you feel the way you're feeling now. Recognize it and do something about it guys. Don't, don't let their plan work. And that's, (laughs) that's the most disgusting part of all of that. But, uh, There was a second part to that question from Melissa. I want to throw at you real quick, Paul. She said, what do you think the overall role for women should be in society?
1: I don't. I don't have an idea of what roles men or women should have in society. I really believe that human beings ought to be free to pursue their happiness and their dreams. That's the only role I'm interested in. Um, the moment that we begin to identify roles, and to sex those roles, we're putting people in boxes. This was the only legitimate arguments that feminists ever made, in my opinion, that just because I'm a woman, I should not be expected to do X, Y, and Z with my life. I should be free. And that includes, if you don't want to marry, I think people should be allowed not to marry. I mean, I don't, I don't think we should pressure them. We should have some sanctity around marriage and we should protect it as an institution in this culture, but we shouldn't force people into it. So I don't have a, a role in society for women. Be good human being. There's your contribution to society right there. That's all you gotta do. Just be decent, be honest, have empathy for other people be willing to look at their struggles and recognize, hey, this is real. Uh, I I look at what happens to women in some cases. I feel empathy for that. Uh, I get accused of not having that empathy all the time. But, of course, that doesn't make it true. Of course, because if I can discredit you, Paul, then anything
0: that's coming out of your mouth doesn't make sense and, and it doesn't get heard. You know what? We need more men like you stepping up and bringing the truth to the plate. And uh, these men need to be men and do that and make their voice heard.
1: Nobody's going to say it for you guys. I absolutely think what you said, <laughs> Eric, is absolutely 100% correct. You know, what's the role for anybody in society? If you don't like injustice when it happens to you, start doing something about it when it happens to others.
0: That's right. And both
2: I, I do want to ask, and I want to ask this from a female perspective now. I know I, I asked it a little bit earlier, but from a female perspective, what, what kind of guy should a female look for? Because that's, that's a very important question, too. I
1: got the same advice. Be a good human being, ladies. Look at yourself. Are you selfish? Are you self-centered? Do you have something to offer? What do you bring to the table to a relationship? What do you have to give that another human being should want? Talk about that. Think about that instead of what you want and see if you don't attract somebody that turns out to be real good for you.
0: Absolutely. We got a question from you, uh, for you from somebody in the audience. Claire Bowles said, Paul Elam, we as alienated parents have these support groups to help us. What do you think we can do to help the children who are alienated?
1: Boy, that is a tough question, because it. part of the problem of alienation is that alienating parents have a huge amount of power in the lives of those children. They're able to bend and warp and manipulate them. Um, one of the things to be aware of when you're fighting, like for visitation and that sort of thing, Warren Farrell's research, and you can ask him about this next week, I hope you do, indicates that... We need a minimum for fathers of 35% of the the time spent with the child. Once it drops below 35%, that's when you start seeing the effects of fatherlessness. And parental alienation, of course, compounds this and makes it worse. But if you can get more than 35% of the time with the child, you have more of a fighting chance to have the ongoing exposure to that child that will leave them being able to compare what the alienating parent is saying versus their lived experience with that other parent. What you can do in particular, I would say go find yourself a therapist who understands parental alienation for that child. Screen them like your life depends on it because the training for the mental health profession We could do a whole discussion on that someday it's really horrible it's abysmal what's going on in our colleges but if you can find a a therapist a competent therapist with experience with children who understands parental alienation that would be one of the most helpful things i think you could do of course now the alienating parent will seek to sabotage that and to keep you from taking the child to therapy um One of the Mm -hmm. things that I have to tell men, and this is the most heartbreaking part at all, you must be psychologically prepared to lose. You must be able to envision your life after the worst has been done to you. And this is something I focus on in my work with men all the time, that guys go into courts and to these situations very idealistically. They, they start out with fantasies like, well, I'll show her, I'll tell the truth, and the truth will set me free. That was me. <laughs> yeah, and it is a crushing defeat mm-hmm. when reality sets in, it's devastating. And so I wanna encourage you more than anything else to value your life, and to think about your life past losing if you lose. You have to be prepared for that. Because you don't know someday down the road, even if if the alienating parent does their level best and they succeed at getting a child to hate you, you don't know where that child's gonna be in 18 years. You don't know what's gonna happen then. Miracles can happen. Children eventually grow up and start thinking about how they were raised. And sometimes, an alienating parent can make somebody hate their parent for life it happens all the time sometimes it fails and you have to be prepared to accept failure and be ready for success when it happens and i know that that is just the lamest bunch of advice in the world but it's all there is as far as i can tell
2: you know, Paul, I always say in, in many of the alienation cases, isn't it really odd that you don't see the mother uh, stepping up, especially when, you know, when it's a man and saying, well, you know, we need to get him help for little Johnny. It's always, no, we don't. And this is a lot of this is in my eyes how you can find out if it's a false allegation or not. They want to keep the kid away from the father. Uh because at that point, in, in my eyes, a good, decent mother who cares about their children, uh, let's say parent, you know, that, that non-custodial parent, that father has a drinking problem. I've had a lot of friends that have fought, female friends, and, and tried to get the father to straighten up, go to rehab. And I look at them and I'm like, my Lord, you know, she's going through so much to try to help this father and, and give this father a chance to be in his child's life and he's not taking it. Whereas when the false allegations are thrown out, those are the, to me, seem to be the mothers who are like, oh no, 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 I, you know, little Johnny can't be around him. He's, you know, he's dangerous. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because in my eyes, and it might be a bias just because I'm an alienated parent, that's what I see more of.
1: Let me get clear what it is you're asking me. I'm looking for the question, that was a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: do you, okay, so so basically, is, is you have a lot of women who are who are who will actively try to help a father who's in need. Okay, um, and if he has a drinking problem or uh, is, is in financial ruin, is always going to the extra effort of you know, well, you know, you need to see Johnny Friday. We need to get you sober. Um, is it? Is clear to you as it is to me, a lot of times when, when the mother is making no effort to have the child uh, in the father's life, that it, it could be due to false allegations. And I guess what I'm hitting at here is uh, the importance of a biological father, opposed to, okay, well, you know, he, he I don't want, you know, Johnny around him because his life's a mess. Uh, Steve's here and he's a perfectly good and capable father. Uh, and I'm just throwing out random names. There's nobody I know or anything.
1: Oh, okay. Well, we'll yeah, listen. I'm
2: not. I'm not targeting anybody. But I guess number one, the importance of the biological father, and number two, have you ever looked at that that kind of a situation where the allegations are made and said, "Well, why isn't this mother trying harder to get the father help?"
1: Yes, and it's because in most cases, I think she is not in the least bit interested in making in, in caretaking the relationship between the child and its biological father. I've got to say, and this is disgraceful. And one of the reasons we need more women to step up is to talk to other women. But I have talked to n- numbers of women that have said, it, I talk to my kids about their father. It's not that big a deal. The, they don't need him that much. Right. Uh, if he's not there, it's no fault. Or, you know, the guy I'm dating is really good with them. Man, oh. if, if you're really talking about the guy you're dating, is any kind of substitute for a biological father? Good lord, are you messed up?
0: And it happens all too much.
1: Oh, all the time. All the time. And the rationalization that takes place to justify this sort of thing. And, you know, I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who described their lives growing up as a revolving door of guys coming in and out of their life. Well, all the mother did was badmouth them, uh, badmouth the father to them about what a loser he was. And then, of course, when they got angry at the son, they'd say, you're just like your father. Right. Um, it's highly abusive. This is abuse on a staggering level and this society as of right now says you go girl
0: right yeah it, 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 you're you're 100 right and people encourage it and then that term of uh one day i'm gonna find a man and uh my child's gonna have a real father you know oh stuff yes. kind of in front of the child muscle. yeah they do it they do it on purpose and it happens all too much and it, it, to me that's disgusting and it's child abuse it is
1: child abuse. I mean, this is part of the just, I mean, the guys, you got, you got your work cut out for you. Because we do live in a society that promotes and condones child abuse as long as it's perpetrated <laughs> by mothers who have evicted the father from the home. And, you know, that's, again, that's not to say that there aren't deadbeat dads. It's not to say that there aren't guys that lose it but i tell you something else and this will get some people very mad i've talked with enough men going through fighting hard to see their children year after year after year and then the mother is still in that process successfully alienates the father so all the father hears from the children when he takes them is i hate you and i want to go back home to my mother And this goes on time after time after time. And I've seen guys throw in the towel and say, I can't do this. I can't live through this anymore. They throw in the towel. And then the mother says, see, I told you.
0: And do you understand why they could get to that point, Paul?
1: The mothers? No, the fathers. Yes, I did. I do too. I I understand. I mean, I don't ever judge a man who tells me, look, I tried for five years. I tried to be involved with my kids. I was had my the rug pulled out from un, underneath my feet at every turn. My kids ended up hating me anyway, and I gave up. I'm likely to tell them, "Well, I'm really glad you recognized that before you killed yourself." Yeah. That I just you were had, fighting a losing battle. Don't I just had a gentleman
2: uh, email me his story today and told me he ended up, uh, you know, handing over his parental rights, and you know it. It, it's like you said, it, it's a very dark part of it when it comes to that point uh, where somebody has to make that decision.
1: And there's always and I'm sure when this gets on YouTube, stuff, there'll be somebody in the audience says, I don't care what you say. You should never give up as a father. Yeah. Tell me about it when you've been there.
0: You get to some of the points of some of these guys. I was talking to a, a father last week, Paul. This guy makes one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year after child support and alimony. He brought home seventeen dollars on his paycheck. He doesn't even have money to spend time with his kids. He's paying all of that money he is a slave to the system. And you don't and and you're <laughs> saying that you can't see how a father could get to that point? They have nothing to look forward to. They have nothing to look forward to. Dr. Carlos, he'll be on here next Wednesday. He's starting a new podcast. He was paying $18,000 a month. This is a pediatrician. And when he got behind, they put him in jail for 6 months. He had to go stand on a street corner and beg for money to get food. This is this is the length that fathers are going to in America through this system. That This is what Title IV-D is doing. It is destroying families and it's taking fathers out of their kids' lives. And when you got 25 out of 26 out of the shooters, the mass shooters, that grew up in fatherless homes, somebody needs to be looking at it. They need to be looking at it and the decline of the American father in this society. It just it sickens me to no end. But... Before I start preaching, I want to kind of go back to something you said a while ago, because I'm sorry, I get a little heated sometimes.
1: That's man. You're 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 telling it. You go for it, man.
0: When you was talking about a therapist, you said one the key word he said, make sure you get a therapist that understands parental alienation. Okay, a lot of times we that's what we tell people when they come to us and they're like, I don't know where to turn. We're like, get a therapist. A lot of people don't agree with that. They're like, oh, no, no. The therapist is on the sides of the courts and and they don't understand what we're going through. Again, the key word, find somebody that understands what we're going through. And that can be one of the best tools for you to use and really help you get your mind where it needs to be. What what would you say about that, Paul?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I think it it goes into also exploring any kind of uh, psychiatric, psychological help from professionals. Ask them what do you understand about men's issues? And if they say, well, men don't know how to cry, they, they need to emote more like women, run like hell. Because you've got a feminist trained psychotherapist who thinks that men are defective women. And if we can just train them to be more like women, they'll be okay. If on the other hand, you ask them what they understand about men's issues, and they start talking about things like parental alienation and family courts and suicide and the other issues that disproportionately affect men you may have somebody worth working with in that so i agree with you eric uh, absolutely um, it's a minefield out there for men this is the biggest challenge socially that anybody's ever faced over the the amount of bias and prejudice to overcome to even talk about these issues, um, uh, you guys are already starting to experience it. You got this new program, and I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna get some crap from well, people. We have. Oh, oh, we
0: get it all the time. They yeah. ju- they want to discredit us because we got Dad in our name. That we're not a a gender neutral platform, and it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, half of our audience. As mothers, because they know we advocate for them as well. So I kind of want to go back to that. I'm not playing Thank into that, you and for mothers not too. Buckling to that? No, I'm not buckling. I'm not taking down dad out of my name. I'm a dad. I'm unapologetically dad. I'm proud to be dad. I'm proud to be a father, and that's the best thing that I've ever done in my life. You're not taking that away from me. That's the reason that the program's here, and it's going to stay that way.
1: Awesome.
0: So <laughs> anyway, going back to that, but I'm not trying to play back into the and mothers too thing but we're we're going to a situation where a mom lost custody due to a father having a better lawyer just because of that that uh, ridiculous fight inside the court system. Is it right if a father starts alienating the mother from her child It's
1: child abuse it's child abuse doesn't matter who does it I mean this is why it's it's we live in such a crazy world on on one hand um the investment in language is so intense that you can't say dad when you're a father. And at the same time, they want everything to be gendered the in the other direction when it's women as victims. This is, I don't even have words for it.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: I just wanted to get that out
0: just before somebody comes in. And then, you know, that's we know what happens. We know the picture that they want to paint. We're talking about equality here, guys. We're and I,
1: I, I, I long for the day that we don't have to say that we know that a father alienating a child from a mother is wrong. We should just be able to say alienation is wrong. Period.
0: That's how stupidly politically correct our society is.
2: Yep. Well, You know, Paul, it, at the beginning of my first custody battle, I was uh, given advice to um, not allow my son to go back with his mother. And I was told, you know, look, you know, don't, don't, don't let her have him. You're not going to see him again. And, and, you know, I often look back on that day because that was something where I, it made sense to me what that person was telling me but inside I'm sitting there looking at my son and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this to him. I'd be doing this to him, not her. And then that's, that's actually how I became an alienated parent. Uh, and that was a very, I, I remember, I look back on that day now and I say, I don't understand how, uh, the mothers could have done what they've done to me because I couldn't do it to them. And it was primarily my focus was on the kids.
1: And that is, unfortunately, I think for men, the other I- idealistic form of thinking that that ultimately sabotages us. We think that during the process of a divorce, that if we're reasonable and fair and just, that it'll somehow be reciprocated. But the system is set up to convince her to be brutal. Mm-hmm. Lawyers will coach her into it. The judges will tolerate it. Um, You did the right thing for your child. You made a decision based on your child's needs. And it's not your fault that that, the system took that and used it against you. It's just another bit of evidence of how wrong things are. But you did the right thing. There's no doubt about it.
0: That's the battlefield that they've made it. It's, it's, it's not about the best interest of the child. They want to get you at odds. They want to take your rights away and make you a slave to a system that you you don't have the money to fight back at. That That's the reality for the most of us. And absolutely, most of these guys, they're, they're hitting a brick wall, and a good portion of them are taking themselves out because they feel like they just can't go on. And
1: uh, I'd say the government's to blame for it. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. This is, this is a problem of governance, and because there's no way, you know, guys have gone to prison for criticizing their family mm-hmm. court judges, yep. for no posting one. something on Facebook criticizing their decisions. This what is how, here? this is how absolutely corrupt this is. No appeal, no nothing, no no check and balance on the system that exists. It's give us your money or go to jail. We will do whatever we want to do to you. We will do whatever we want to do to your children, and you will shut up and take it, or we will put chains on you." That's literally what's happening in our family courts. And it's, uh, it's no wonder more men aren't taking themselves out. And it is a testament to men, in my opinion, that we don't have a, a lot of dead family court judges. And before anybody screams that I'm advocating violence. I'm doing anything but. What I'm saying is men are not anything like part of our culture stamps them out to be. They're very level-headed. They're very, very much more likely to harm themselves than others.
0: Yes, sir. So you just reminded me of a case that we had on here when I very first started the podcast. I caught an article in a local news up in Michigan about a father who had taken the mother to court and he told the judge, Hey, if you don't give me custody of my son, something's going to happen. The judge didn't listen to him. A couple of weeks later, the baby died. So he goes to Facebook and he says something about the judge. Okay. And then they put him in jail with a $500,000 bond. Well, we started promoting it on dad talk and it took off. And I was talking to him while he was in jail. And I told him, I said, as soon as you get out, I want you on the podcast. And he came on here. He beat that judge, but imagine
1: that. Yeah. I know imagine he that. eventually he... won. I talked to him too. Vanderhagen. Uh, yeah. yeah. Vanderhagen. Just what a case. Just, he knew uh, that there was something was going to happen to that child. Now, as mm-hmm. I understand it, the police cleared the mother in the death of the baby, but, do, do I really trust the authorities in their word in this?
0: The man had a hunt and everything he <laughs> said was going to happen came true.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And they wanted to shut him up. They gave him a plea bargain and told him that if he would plead guilty to it, they would let him out and they just kind of sweep it up under the rug. They wanted him to shut up. And we've got to start speaking up. Let that be a thing. Jonathan Vanderhagen is an example for you men that he stood up for his rights and he won, you know, even though they wanted to shut him up. He said, "Nope, I'm not taking the deal. Whether I stay in jail or not, I'm going to have my voice heard and we've got to have some people getting out there. That's not afraid to stand up for what's right. Or we're just going to continue to be a slave to this system. And uh, I just talked to Jonathan last night, man, he's doing good. He's in a good place. And uh, we wish him nothing but the best of luck. But that is, that is a perfect example of some of the stuff
1: that we're going through. So, Outstanding work, guys.
0: Yes, sir. So I want I to turn to another topic. Why do you think that sexual and DV allegations are so rampant at the moment?
1: I think that's the way. I mean, nothing will damage a man's reputation than sexual inappropriateness, either with a woman or a child. If you want to cripple a man in terms of his reputation, you stick that on to him. If if it were, you know, drugs and alcohol, then that's where all the accusations would be going. Uh, but people don't think that much. We all have a beer here and there, or most people do. They don't think about it that much. But if you want to damage a guy, you say that he sexually abused a child, he might get beat to death on the street from an accusation like that there have been men murdered over false accusations and there have been men suicide over false accusations reputations are, are destroyed but it's one of those things because the feminist establishment has so effectively demonized men for 50 years once you get me too mm-hmm. you're done you're done you're, it's effective you're it's it, effective it, it, it that's works. why they use it It works. And with the way that the the ex parte restraining orders are structured, you don't have to have proof of anything. You can just say, I'm afraid he's going to do something. Or I think he might have touched the kids inappropriately, which this kind of accusation gets levied all the time. And so what does a judge, usually an elected official do? He's got this accusation. If he Ask for proof and doesn't get it, and doesn't respond to it uh, with a restraining order on him, and then something does happen. His career's over.
0: Yeah, yeah, I man, and, and you know that's one of those things, Paul. It's so hurt hard right now at the podcast because we've been advocating at such a high level. We've got a lot of people that want to come and tell us their stories. A good percentage of them are silver bullet cases, and it's like. You know, society has said that if they get that stigma attached to them, you just need to stay as far away from them as possible. But we know from seeing what we've seen in this community, a lot of these cases truly were nothing but accusations, and it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. It's like a want to help, but then you get the stigma over here. I mean, is there a way to find the balance with that?
1: I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. We're you know one of these days. We have to have a talk in this culture about gynocentrism, about the knee-jerk reflection to protect women at any cost when there is a perceived threat. Because the moment that I say something like, okay, she alleges she was sexually assaulted, I want to see some evidence that something happened. The moment I start asking for evidence, I'm the bad guy. Like, how dare you? You've got to, quote, what do they say? Believe the woman. right? And this comes from an ancient reflex in our human species to protect women at any cost. I mean, after all, on the genetic level, the survival of the species depends on protecting women. That's an absolute. But it's sort of like the gorilla on the putting green. and and swings and hits at 900 yards when he only needed 10 foot for a putt. That's how we react to the perception of women under threat. And so, man, challenging that means we have to talk about how we excessively protect women in this society and how we don't hold them to account. We don't hold them to standards of evidence. We don't treat them with even a healthy amount of skepticism when they make allegations. And until this society can have an honest conversation about that, you're going to continue to see false allegations flourish.
2: And Paul, you, you would have, <clears throat> I'm sure you, you, you know about it and you can imagine it, but uh, right before Thanksgiving and right before Christmas, you should have saw how many members in this community uh, got served with TPOs right before they were supposed to get <laughs> their children up for the holidays, like Eric Eric and I really didn't know what to do and how to handle it because we were expecting it. But when we saw the amount of people it happened to, like right there, you knew it was false allegations.
1: Sure. And these are these are done because, well, I would rather have the kids at this other place right. during the holidays. So it's more convenient for me. So I'll just say he did something. No big deal.
2: Right. And then they got a lawyer encouraging them behind them to,
1: to do sure. that. I mean it is a it's a grotesque problem. Um go
0: back to why are they doing it? It's effective. Yep, it works.
1: And it works because we won't raise our sons to have any kind of discernment about women. I think there needs to be consequences, Paul.
0: There needs to be consequences that if these men can find some way to fight that back off, OK, uh, that that other parent should lose custody right away. They should be fined and they should
1: be put in jail. Yeah. But unfortunately, we don't have consequences for the same reasons we believe all these accusations without questioning them. It goes back to the same problem. Um We're not going to. Women who make false accusations are rarely punished. It's very unusual. I mean, when you see a news story of a woman going to jail, I I saw one not too long ago, a woman in England had accused 13 different men of raping her before they finally locked her up for a couple of weeks. She had ruined 13 lives. Um, And then they finally put her in jail for two weeks. Man, some of these things aren't going to have answers for a long, long time.
0: I know a father right now, Paul, that's got 40 CPS allegations on him over 10 years.
1: I know a few of those myself.
0: He's fought it every single time, and then they just keep coming in. You know, it's ridiculous. There needs to be some type of consequences. We've got to clean this system up, or it's just going to continue to, to happen. We really do.
1: Well, I think for what it's worth, you guys are starting in the right place, giving men a voice. That's why I named my website A Voice for Men, the whole thing, getting men to talk, to tell their stories. And yeah, it's not going to draw you an audience of 5 million people because there isn't that many people that give a damn about the lives of men, but it will draw some people. And out of that, you can encourage these guys to become more active, to do what you guys are doing and to talk to their legislators and to try to influence elections with this stuff. Because I do believe if we change the narrative enough, and we are changing the narrative. Five years ago, an article would appear on a website saying, basically all white men are evil, blah, blah, blah. They should all burn in hell. And there would be nothing but support in the comments. And now every once in a while, when one of those articles is published, you see the comments, people are tearing them to shreds. Uh, Mentality is changing ever so slowly. And what you guys are doing is a part of that. I I hope you keep it up.
2: And I think part of what keeps a lot of fathers speaking out, they might have an order where they see their children every other weekend. Like that seems to be the typical easy way out for the uh, judge to, you know, hand out an order. Uh, and, and I know from personal experience that as a father who had a child every other weekend, you sit there and think to yourself, you know, man, I just got bamboozled and steamrolled. I don't want to open my mouth again, or I'm not even going to see my, my child every other weekend.
1: Yep. That's again, it's all uphill brothers. Every last step is a steep incline. And uh, and
0: yes. I'm sorry. No, uh, I was just going to say just to touch on that a little bit, guys. So, you know, we definitely we're, we're here for mothers, too, because I've talked to a good bit of mothers that have been and this isn't the politically correct thing if we're going to solve parental alienation and get equal shared parenting passed, we've got to have everybody at the table of every color and we've got to get it here at the same time. The men inside of this movement need to learn how to be men again. And you need to learn how to speak up. And then when somebody comes to you, when the opposition comes to you, don't you shy away. You need to stand up for what you believe. And you need to, the way you talk on here is the way you need to talk out there. We don't need to be angry dads. Okay. There's a way to get over what you're, what you mean. Without being angry or, you know, getting out there and being violent or protesting. There's a way to effectively do it. And you need to stand up for what you believe in. And you need to come together. One of the hardest things we have with men, though, Paul, maybe I can pick your head about this a little bit. It's getting them to work together. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gee, the bane of my existence. Uh, sometimes I think that uh, a voice from men, which is actually a large team of people that have worked together for many years, is kind of a fluke in, in the world because what happens? Men are natural competitors. That's that's our genetic destiny. Is and we operate in a hierarchy. So we tend to come together and then jockey for position. And then if I don't get the position I want, then the heck with you guys, I'm gone. Um, This is what happens between men. And what it's going to take is the very brightest of men focusing on these issues and recognizing we must work together. We must absolutely support each other. And that's why, if, if this is bragging, so be it. I've always been very, very supportive of other organizations, giving them a platform at A Voice for Men, help them with fundraising, do all kinds of things for other people that are doing this work because seeing each other as competitors is crazy. It's, it's a luxury we can't afford in this. Uh, so hopefully at some point, a whole lot of really bright men and women are going to organize and work together and get something done. And in some ways, some of that is happening. NCFM, the National Coalition for Men, is a great example of guys that have come together, a bunch of attorneys and other professionals, and they're filing lawsuits for men on behalf of men. They're playing a role in changing laws. And you've got people like uh, Carnell Smith at Paternity Fraud.
0: My buddy talked to him um, for a couple hours earlier.
1: Yeah. And he got a law changed in Georgia. to benefit Twelve states. In, yeah, 12 yes.
0: States. Twelve
1: different states. One we man just spent army. earlier this week with him. If we can ever get all these people together and to, to work, both individually and as a team on things, it wouldn't take probably a hundred of us You know, it's not, it's never the majority that changes life in a society. It's always a very vocal minority that makes things happen. Think, love or hate the hippies, they changed the world in a lot of ways. Um, And this certainly applies too, because the mentality is changing. And if people in comments everywhere are starting to get that hatred for for men isn't cool, eventually our legislators are going to get that too. And they're going to start doing something about it.
2: Well, and you know, I've I've got to say, I've pretty much looked at every comment in our chat tonight. And and believe it or not, there's a fair amount of females in there. And I have not seen one person say anything bad about you, try to start an argument, or you know what? He, He doesn't know what he's talking about.
0: Um, you, you think that I, it could be because he was presented a fair show and asked,
2: I don't know reasonable
1: questions wow. No, that couldn't be it. There's no way wow. <laughs> I don't know. It had to be something else. I tell you what that's one thing that I think we could, and I've said this for years. we could learn from women is how to work together. Women know how to circle wagons. Sometimes they don't do it in the most healthy way, but sometimes it is in a really healthy way. And they know how to cooperate for the collective. Right. And I know that's a dirty word in some circles, but we need somewhat of a collective to work together on this stuff. And a bunch of men and women that circle the wagons around each other. Like, I feel like you guys did around me tonight with this interview.
0: And let's be honest. Most of them don't like each other, but they can work together. Yep. <laughs> so guys, we, we need that. We, we've we got to have that unity. And it, you're, you're spot on with really everything you've said tonight, Paul. Um, that has been the biggest problem inside of this movement that I've seen. Everybody wants to be the leader. Yeah. They want to be the face of the movement. Screw being the face of the movement guys. It's kind of like what we're doing over here. Dad talk. So we built this platform up here. Okay. I've got what four different podcasts that are starting under this network because we're wanting to use those people that we grew to get up, get over other people so that we have more people talking for our cause. That's what it's going to take. Get over yourself. Get in here and let's get involved. We got to work
1: together. Great attitude. And, and so I said attitude. it
2: the other day, he, he's doing this because he wants to see his daughter. I'm doing this because I want to see my son and my daughter. And we want everybody watching this to be able to see their children, grandchildren, or even an erased race, family
1: member. Yes, sir.
0: I haven't seen my daughter in a year and a half.
1: I'm sorry to hear that.
0: A year and a half. And there there's no no reasons behind it. And it's just, just because I guess I'm a dad, I don't have rights. I've got to go prove myself. I got to go fight in court. I've got to go get legitimized. I got to sign up for child support before I can even talk about having time with my own flesh and blood. We're talking about equality here, guys. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way it should be. Equal shared parenting should be the norm. And uh, if we don't get our voices, loud. you're going to pass that on to the next generation. And that's going to be your grandkid that you're not going to be seeing. So Paul, I want to thank you so much. We've been going for about an hour and a half now. I I got to tell you, man, this has been one of my favorite episodes so far. We really have had such a good time and I'll probably, I would really like to get you back sometime in the future.
1: I'd be happy to do it. Do you mind if I plug my website while we're here?
0: 100%. Let's get get it all out.
1: Avoiceformen.com. But uh, also, my new website is at Uh Welcome everybody to go there, check out the material. Um, and uh, hopefully, these guys will provide a link down there and uh, we'll get you there to visit.
0: Can you and put Paul, that down in the feed?
2: Well, I'm actually going to ask him a question right now. I'm going to kind of put him on the spot here. As you know, we have a podcast coming up with, uh, I believe it's Dr.
0: Warren Farrell. And when is that one, Eric? That one is, I want to say, uh, Thursday. So it was actually supposed to be like a week and a half ago. Um, Dr. Farrell had a, a loss in his family, so we had to reschedule that. So, so it's Thursday. Jan- I do believe it's Thursday. 6 uh-huh.
2: p.m. So what I was going to bring up and see if we could get your commitment and talk to Dr. Warren Farrell about this after we do his podcast, would you want to circle back and the four of us do a show together?
1: Oh, I don't see why not. Okay. I'm a big a fan of Warren. House. Uh, I will have to double check my calendar, but count it count me in for a tentative yes. Okay.
2: okay, we can figure out a date, you know, around you guys. We don't have okay. to lock one in now or anything, but we will. Uh, after we have him on the twenty third, we will ask him that, and then we will connect with both of you and try to make this happen. All the stars align, and that will be the biggest podcast ever.
1: <laughs> Super, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. Let me
0: ask you another question, Paul. Don't you have a YouTube channel as well?
1: Yes, I do. That's called an Ear for Men. Uh, But if you also, if you search YouTube under my name, my channel will pop up. Um, And there's about 250 videos on there now. Uh, Some of them are discussions that I've had with Janice Fiamingo and Tom Golden, uh, but a lot of the others are scripted lectures that I've done on different men's issues. Uh, A lot of guys uh, find them somewhat refreshing and different.
0: Yes, sir. And I would encourage everybody, if you have not seen The Red Pill, please go to YouTube and watch that. That was one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I really think y'all not it free out of the park. You're, it's you're, free. You can
1: deal with the commercials. You don't have to pay.
0: And most of the time you can skip those ads five seconds in, but don't yeah. do it because that goes to the creator. <laughs> they yeah, they, I mean, they need those ads coming on the video. Anytime you see see,
1: deserves yes. every nickel she can get out of that movie. Yes, she
0: does. That's she a whole other movie. topic. And, you know, we watched her completely flip-flop where she originally was going through with that because she heard these issues and she realized this is what's right. So go check that out and do yourself a favor. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Paul, thank you so much, my man. I, I can't thank you enough. This was, this has been a real treat.
1: Well, I was happy to do it. and It was very nice to meet both of you. Thank you. And hopefully we'll meet in person.
2: We're going to be hopefully uh, going to a lot of conferences and stuff and we can uh, suit up and and
0: take down that title IVD together. And with everybody watching this as well. Awesome. All right, guys, stay cool. Stay dead. And we will catch you tomorrow night with cash Jackson, eight o'clock PM Eastern standard time. This has been an episode of dad talk today with your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for being here today, dad. It means the world to us. Join us next week as we release a brand new podcast. And until then, visit us over at www.dadtalktoday.com where you can find merchandise that helps support this podcast as well as a contact form where you can send in your questions, concerns, comments. You just need to reach out to somebody. need somebody to talk to. Send us that email, brother, if you're here. You're family. Until then, we will see you next time. Stay cool. Stay dad.